I'd just like to say I have way more hair than both Mitch <laughs> or Brandon. Just for the record, just so we all know that right away. Um, if, if you could turn in your Bibles to Second Kings, we're going to look at a couple of stories this morning um, that I think are familiar, and yet, you know, this week, uh, God, re- God showed me a few new things in these stories that I hadn't necessarily seen before. And kind of what we're going to do is we're going to look at two different examples of servants. And we're going to kind of compare, you know, um, how they serve the Lord, their attitude behind their service, those types of things. So um, does anybody know the kind of person who is really good at, like, at giving gifts? It's like every year at Christmas, you, you want that person to, like, draw your name from the hat so that, so that you – because you know they're going to get you something that you actually want, like something that is really good for your life that actually works. You know, so I think there's those people. But then I think you also know the people that, like, you know they're going to get you, like, a candle that you don't need and, like, a thing of lotion. Or they're going to get you, like, the gift card, which gift cards are great. But, you know, they're just kind of not personal. So, like, there's kind of two different types of givers, right? My, my niece, Haley, she's just getting ready to turn 10. And every year at Christmas, she goes, so at, at her elementary school, they have one of those little Santa shops you know, where kids can go for a dollar or two and buy, I mean, essentially we know it's kind of all junk, okay? It's really cheap stuff, <laughs> but it's really, really thoughtful. So what she does is she, she figures out what everybody in the family likes, and then she finds something at this store that will apply to them. So a few years ago, she got me, uh, so I had an office job, and she got me this little tape dispenser and it was a a red football helmet that you pulled the tape out of. I'm a huge football fan. I'm not a Chiefs fan, so the red didn't actually work, but um, (laughs) I know this is like the wrong thing to say, but my high school team, we were red. We were the Cardinals in college. We like played for a team who had red. So it it was just really thoughtful. This little like $2 tape dispenser, you know, it, it, it meant something to me because she had thought about me. She knew me. And she went out of her way to get this gift that, that fit what I wanted, that what I needed. So as we compare these two stories today, let's think about the type of servants that we are and the type of kind of gift givers that we are. So the first thing we're going to do, we're going to read Second Kings chapter 4. We're going to read verses 8 through 17 just to get this story down. So verse 8, this is the story of Elisha. So Elisha is the guy, he comes after Elijah. So Elijah's mainly you know, in 1 Kings, and then he kind of passes the mantle onto Elisha, and Elisha is a prophet. He's a man of God in the Old Testament. And let's read this story. Verse 8, it says, And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick, and it shall be, when he cometh to us, that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on a day that he came thither and turned into the chamber and lay there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldest thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among mine own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? 
And Gehazi answered, Verily she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he called, and he said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door. And he said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace the son. And she said, Nay, my lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. So the first part of our message I've called the selfless servant, because we see in the Shunammite woman. So I've thought about this too, like, I, I kind of want to give her a name, like maybe Sharon or something, like Shunammite Sharon, because the, saying sh, the Shunammite woman, I'm going to say it wrong a bunch of times, so just have some grace with me there, because I'm going to get it wrong. She is very selfless, though. So uh, let's talk about some characteristics of selfless servants. If you have a handout, number one on your handout, selfless servants take initiative to serve others. So they take the initiative to serve others. Look at verse 8 with me again. It says, right in the middle, it says, She constrained him to eat bread. So Elisha is just passing by. He's just right. doing his thing. He's traveling. He's working. He comes by this city often. And this woman is like, You know, I bet he's hungry. Like, I'm going to go out of my way to give him some bread. Like, I'm going to meet this very simple need that he has. I'm going to take the initiative and just... Give him some bread. Really easy, right? And I think this is a really easy principle of service, of serving people. Maybe you're thinking, okay, I'd love to serve people, but I don't know how. Here's an easy trick. Buy him a pizza. Like, who doesn't love pizza? You want to serve somebody? You want to meet somebody's needs? Like, buy him a pizza. I think that's the equivalent of the Old Testament constraining someone to eat bread. I think our modern equivalent is like, Go get a pizza and bring it to their house and share it with them. That is going to serve them. Nobody will be mad at you for bringing them a pizza. This is a great way to start. So what I like about this is that this woman, you know, nobody ever asked her to do this. She saw a need and she met it. So what she does, she gives bread, and that's a great need. Like Elisha's hungry. He's traveling. He's walking. He's preaching. He needs the bread, right? The second thing she does for him is she literally makes a room in her house for him so that he can sleep, so that he can rest. So she knows him. She knows his needs. And she says, what, what, what could I do to kind of help here? And she literally constrains him, like she compels him. It's not necessarily that she forces him to eat the bread. But, you know, you ever been at somebody's house and they, they, you sit down, you're just hanging out and they offer you some food or maybe they have some food cooking in the background and you're initially like, no, 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 I'm not hungry. It's, it's okay. I don't need it. And then they bring the food out and it smells good and you're hungry and you're sitting there and you're like, all right, if you're going to force me to eat it, I'll eat it. Like, that's kind of how I picture this going down. Elijah's hungry. Elisha's, he's like weary from his journey. She brings out the bread. He eats it. And then she goes a step farther and she makes this room for him. You know, I think that, so there's something that we that we always say, right? Something's happening in someone's life. Um, maybe there's a death in the family or an illness. Something bad happens to somebody. What, what do we always say to them? We always say, hey, let me know if I can do anything for you. Right. Hey, call me if I can do anything for you. Right. Let me tell you this. Just do it. That's right. Just do something for them. Like, That's right. Bring them the pizza. You know, make them feel loved. Because... If, when you're going through a tragedy, when have you thought, I'm going to call that random guy at church and ask him to help me? You're not even thinking about that. Plus, it's awkward. Like, just go out of your way to do it. 
just go out of your way to do it. Just take the initiative and do it. That shows that you're not thinking about yourself. Shows that you're selfless. Let's talk a little bit about, there's a couple of verses up here that I think are really important that talk about kind of our attitude behind serving. And the first one's actually not on the screen, so just write this down. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. And this is a verse that Pastor Sam uh, talks about all the time, and I think it kind of should permeate the attitude of the whole church and of the whole body of Christ. This is what it says in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. It says, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. You know, don't, don't do anything to serve yourself, it says, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. So esteem or value, like I value, I value other people more than I value myself, and I'm going to prove that with my actions. And it says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. When you're, when you're looking on yourself, you take initiative to serve yourself and take care of yourself. When you're looking on others, you take initiative to serve others because you see their needs. When your eyes are always on yourself, you don't see the needs of others. So you don't even know. You wouldn't even know that Elisha was hungry. You wouldn't even know that he was passing through town. You wouldn't even know that he didn't have a place to sleep because you're so worried about yourself. So let's get our eyes on others. A couple others on the screen. First John 3.17 says, excuse me, it says, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Mm. If you have the stuff to make someone else's life better, I think this is talking about physical things. There's also this aspect to service that is very spiritual, passing on the gospel. We're going to talk about that. I think this is, says you have the goods of the world. You have the ability to like help someone out, and you don't give it to them. That's on you. It doesn't say that the, the, the responsibility is on that other person to ask you for it. It says it's your responsibility to give it. Some of us have been very blessed financially, um, very blessed with things, with good jobs. We have the ability through our things, through our giving, to help people, to really make a difference in people's lives. And I think, so I think our primary, our primary, our primary area of giving should be to the church first. Because the church is going to use that money to do spiritual work, to even do some physical work, to do some philanthropy, that kind of thing. And that's perfect. But you also have the ability to make a difference in somebody's life with small things. Proverbs 3 is just kind of emphasizes this again. It says, Withhold not good from them to whom it is due, when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. Say not unto thy neighbor, Go and come again, and tomorrow I will give, when thou hast it by thee. So what it's saying is, if you have the stuff with you, you have the ability to make a difference in somebody's life, to give to them. You have bread, and Elisha comes to your house hungry, don't say, oh, come back tomorrow and I'll feed you. No, give it to him right now. Take the initiative and give it to him right now. Now, of course, as Christians, we must understand that people's biggest need is for the gospel. right? If, if some, but, but if someone is dying of starvation and we look at them and say, you need Jesus, that's true. That person probably needs Jesus. They're probably not a, maybe not a Christian. That, but... Do you think that person's thinking about his spiritual life right now? I think he's probably thinking about bread. He's probably thinking about being really hungry. So there's a time when we meet spiritual, when we meet physical needs, but we also use that as an opportunity to meet spiritual needs. You know, Matthew five sixteen says, "Let your light so shine before men that they may see your, you know, they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven." So the reason to do the good works is not so that I can be seen, but so that people will glorify my Father in heaven. 
because that's the ultimate goal. So the other side of that is humanitarian agencies and groups that just give out spiritual, just give out physical things, right? Just hand out food and just hand out aid, and they go to disaster sites and they bring physical things. That's great. Like if there's an earthquake and you know if, if a tornado goes through Raytown tomorrow and my house gets destroyed and the Red Cross shows up with a meal, I'm gonna take it. Thank you, Red Cross. That's awesome. But if, if that doesn't give an opportunity to preach the gospel, you know, then, then what is the, like, the church, the church has the ability to change people's lives forever, for eternity. Yes, sir. Let's not waste it on just changing their, their temporary, you know, situations. Yes, sir. Let's do both. We can do both. Number two, selfless servants know what others need. They know what others need. And the, the reason that you know what others need is because you're not looking at yourself, right? You're looking at the needs of others. Look at verses 9 through 11 in our story, 2 Kings chapter 4. It says, And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is an holy man of God. So she says, I perceive it. Like, it's something I've noticed this about him because I'm watching his life. I'm seeing what he needs. I'm not looking at myself. I'm seeing what he needs. How does she know this? She spent time with him. He passed by. He hung out in her house. They probably chatted. He figured out what she wanted. He figured out what she needed. She figured out what he needed. Look at verse 10. So there's the food. She does the food in verse 8. But then in verse 10 it says, let's make a little chamber. A little, just a little room on the wall. And what does she give him? A bed. Why would Elisha need a bed? The guy doesn't have a home. He needs a bed. He needs a place to sleep. He's traveling. He's got to lay his head somewhere. She's like, so she doesn't, so she gives him what, what he actually needs. She gives him a bed. So he needs rest. She gives him a bed. She also provides a table. The rest of this, um, in this room, there's a bed and a table. Man of God, hearing from God, no doubt writing down God's words, no doubt studying the scriptures. He needs a table. He needs a place to do his work. How does she know that about him? She spent time with him. She knew him. She knew who he was. What else? She gives him a stool, a place to sit, a, a place to sit. She gives him a candlestick for the late night, you know, studying and praying when he's up late. She knows him. She gives him what he needs. So when you're selfless, you're looking on the needs of others and you're able to give them what they need. In the book of Luke chapter 11, uh, it's a kind of a, it's a pretty familiar passage. It's a passage where Jesus talks about giving gifts and he says, you know, what father, if his son asks for him bread, is going to give him a stone? What father, if a kid asks for fish, is going to give him a serpent? And what kind of father, if his kid asks for an egg, would give him a scorpion? You would be the world's worst dad if you gave your kid a scorpion when what he needs is an egg, or if you gave him a serpent or a stone. So the, the idea here was that God, he's saying God as our father knows how to give us good gifts because he knows us, he knows what we need. We... As then as God's children, we need to know how to give good gifts to people. We need to know them. We need to know what they need. We need to be involved in their lives. Um, years ago, uh, my church was involved with a group of pastors, small group of pastors in the country of Belize. And Belize is very, uh, it's a very poor nation, uh, very remote, uh, very old-fashioned. Um, a lot of people don't have cars. The internet and cell phones, you know, like... The internet spread wide and like through cell service. That just came to the country a couple of years ago. Many people don't even have running water. Many people don't have um, electricity, those types of things. Well, 
we, we were involved with a pastor there, and we decided that what this pastor really needed was a computer because he was doing all of his studying by candlelight at night in a, you know, in a, in a dark room. And he was right. He was handwriting all of his sermons and, you know, like it, it, you know, to study the Bible, we would just get on an app or get on our computer and we'd look up all the keywords and it'd be really easy. He was just like reading the Bible and kind of memorizing it and figuring out cross references like that. So we thought he needs a computer that's going to solve all of his problems, right? That's going to make him, it's going to save him time. Like instead of spending 20 hours studying because he's looking for passages, he's going to be able to search them. Bam, he's going to find them. Well, he was, you know, not a really old guy, but he was middle-aged. And he had lived this way his whole life, just looking up verses. So we gave him a computer. We did a little training. Like a year later, we go back. And we're like, hey, how's the computer working for you? What do you, you know, what do you think about it? And he's like, well, I, I have a couple of questions about it. So he goes back. And, you know, the first sign was bad because he goes back to his bedroom and it takes like five minutes to find it. So we're sure, like, okay, he's probably not using it. He brings it out. And when he opens it up, like a whole colony of ants comes out of it because they had been living inside of it because he hadn't been using it because he didn't really need a computer. That wasn't going to solve his, that wasn't going to make him a better minister. Or he needed the computer and a whole bunch of training and someone to sit with him and teach him how to do it. Um, so we gave a bad gift because we were thinking, well, this is what I would want if I were him. You ever do that? Like you give somebody a gift that is actually kind of for you. Like, like here's a new, you know, Hey, you know, wife, here's a new skillet. Cause I really like the way you cook eggs in the morning. <laughs> That kind of benefits you more than her. It's probably not something she really wants, right? So we are called, though, in First Thessalonians, we're called. He says, I beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Do you know the people that labor among you? Do you know each other in this room? Do you know your pastors? Do you know Mitch and Michelle if... if if while Mitch is gone, if somebody said, hey, we're gonna, getting together a gift basket for Mitch and Michelle. We just want to fill it with things to let them know that we love them. Would you be able to contribute a personal item or would you be more of like the Starbucks gift card kind of person? And listen, everybody likes Starbucks gift cards because everybody can find something they want at Starbucks. The point is, do you know them well enough to be able to minister to them personally? The Bible commands us to get to know them. The Bible commands husbands to know your wives. It says, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. The husband, or the, the Bible commands as parents that we know our kids. So my, my challenge to husbands is, do you know your wives well enough to, to serve them well? Wives, do you know your husbands well enough to give them good gifts and serve them? Do you know your children well enough to know what they need, to know what they want, to be able to serve them selflessly? I think that, that's something that we have to do. It's something we are called to do. Number three, for a selfless servant. So selfless servants work under leadership and with a team. They work under leadership and they work with a team. In verse 9, the Shunammite woman, Sharon, she says, it says, She said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God. And then in verse 10 she says, Let us. So two times she said, she talks to her husband, she says, I, I need to run this idea by you. What do you think, husband? I think that this is what's happening. And then she says, let us together, it's plural, 
let us make him a chamber. So she engages other people, you know, to minister with her. She works with her husband. At the same time, she's ministering to Elisha and his servant. So what she's done is she's, she's made herself a part of a team. She's made herself a part of a body. And then she's serving under the leadership of, now we can't really call that a church because it's Elisha as a prophet and Israel is kind of in a bad place at this time in history. But she is serving underneath leadership. She's serving underneath a man of God. You know, there's a, there's a phrase that we use here at MBT, every member minister, right? We want every member, everybody that's in the body to be involved in ministry in some way. And that ministry should always take place as part of a team, should always take place as part of a group. Um, the other thing that this involves is if you see something that needs addressed, you don't say, Man, they should really do something about that. I, I really wish someone would do something about the dirty floor. No, what, what every member of minister says, when you see that problem, you see the trash that hasn't been taken out. Rather than say, man, I, somebody should take that trash out. You walk over to the trash can and you pull the bag out and you walk it over to the dumpster and you throw it in. That's taking initiative. That's what you do. That's, that's the atmosphere of MBT. That's how it should be. Now, um, th there's, there's something important here, too, that we have to remember. that I, this, this isn't permission to like just go out and start whatever ministry you want. Just go do your own thing, right? Because every member of ministry, I get to do what I want. we got to remember that this woman, she's serving with someone with someone in the body, and she's serving under leadership. And we're going to see the, the kind of the bad example of this in a minute. Number four is that selfless servants expect no reward. They expect no reward. So, you know, in verse 13, let's look at verse 13. It says, um, this is when Elisha sends his servant to talk to the woman. Because Elisha is like, she probably wants something. Let's see what she wants. Verse 13 says, And he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? What do you want? He leaves it wide open. Then he says, Would you be spoken of for, you know, for to the king or to the captain of the host? Do you want me to go to the king and tell him about you and about how great you are? And you built us a room and you gave us bread. Is that what we should do for you? And look at her response. She says, I dwell among mine own people. Like, no, I'm good. I'm here with my people. I, I don't want any. I don't need anything from you. I didn't do this so that I would get a reward. I'm okay. It's kind of like, you know, you're working really hard at work, and your boss says, you know, or your manager says, "What do you want? Do you want me to go tell the boss about how awesome you are?" Well, I mean, in some ways, if if that's going to get me like a raise and that's going to get me a promotion, yeah, maybe. But that's not the reason I worked hard. I worked like I'm with my people. I'm with my crew. I'm doing my job, and that's fine, and that's how it's going to be. It's all right. So when you're serving, you know, at MBT, do you serve so that someone will notice you? Like, do you get yourself in a position to be, to, to really, you know, to really be the center of attention? Remember in, like, junior high and high school playing sports, and um, there were always those people on our team, on my team, that I felt like, they would only give their full effort like when the coach was actually watching. You know those people, you're like, we're running wind sprints at the end of practice, and the coach is like, if everybody goes hard on the last one, this is our last one. 
And now all of a sudden, everybody on the team is the fastest kid on the team. <laughs> like, wait a second, where were you the last 10? I was running hard and you were, well, they wanted to be noticed. That they wanted the coach to see them. They wanted to prove, I'm doing this hard work. Like, somebody, please notice me. Now, it's important to know that when we do serve the Lord, blessings may come. God wants to bless us. We just, I was in Life Fellowship before this, and Pastor Kenny is preaching on Psalm 81. And what, what happens in Psalm 81 is God is, withholds blessings from people because they're disobeying his word. But the overall principle in the word of God is that God wants to shower us with blessings by obeying his, because we obey his word. That's not the reason that we obey. But that's one of the benefits of obeying. That's one of the benefits of serving. But we don't expect it. This woman did not expect a reward. Uh, We'll see in a minute that she gets one. Now, I want to say this really quick about service. There is a warning that I want to throw in here between number four and number five. We have to remember that in Christ, we are valuable for who we are and not for what we do. We cannot get our value from the service that we do for the Lord. We get our value... Because of who we are in Christ. Because Christ lives in us. Now, a result of that, the overflow of Christ in me, uh, Philippians says, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So I have this salvation in me. I have this Holy Spirit in me. I work it out through the actions that I do. Through the, through the way that I preach. Through the way that I live my life. But um, that's not what makes me valuable. I like at, the, at All Church Retreat, Pastor Dan preached on prayer. And what he said was, as we abide with Christ, as we spend time with him, the overflow of our lives is going to be loving people. The overflow of our lives is going to be sharing the gospel. It's going to be serving people. It's going to be loving people. So that, is, that comes out of the overflow. Remember the story of Mary and Martha? So Mary and Martha are these two sisters, and they're, they're with Jesus. And, um, you know, Martha... The Bible says that she was cumbered about with much serving. She's just working. She's like getting the meal ready. She's serving. She's cleaning. She's doing the dishes. Like, do you know that person in your life that you're, you're eating a meal and before you can finish eating, they're like taking the plates away from you. You're like, you put your cup down and they just get it off the table. You're like, I wasn't finished yet. But they're just like, we got to get this place cleaned up. It's dirty. We got to get it clean. We got to go. Like my mom is that way. Um, she'll never hear this, so I'm safe to say that. And it's, it's great, but it's like, Mom, I, I, I want to finish the meal. Like, you don't need to clean it up yet. This is how I picture Martha. And then she's, she's kind of mad, right? Because Mary's just hanging out with Jesus, just sitting around with Jesus in the other room. And she's like, really, Jesus? You're going to let her do that? What does Jesus say about it, though? He says, Mary has chosen the better part. That was where I wanted her to be at that time. Mary, there's, so we need to be with Jesus. We gotta spend time with Jesus. I think there's, but out of that overflow becomes our Martha moments where we serve and where we give and where we lay down our lives. Number five, selfless servants will be rewarded. They will be rewarded. Now, at number number four, I said they don't expect a reward. That's not the reason we serve, right? But the Bible's pretty clear that as we serve selflessly, that we will get rewarded. So. I realize there's some danger in saying this, right? Like, I'm telling you, don't serve for the rewards. And then I'm saying, but you will get rewarded. So this is a tricky thing where we kind of really have to check our motives constantly, right? Like, why am I serving today? Why am I sacrificing this today? Why, am, why did I come on a Saturday to sweep the floors of the church? 
so that God would reward me somehow or because I love God and I want to see his kingdom you know, expanded. I want to see people come to church and I want to make a way for that to happen. It's really tricky. In verse 17 of our story, it says, The woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her according to the time of life. So she enters into this service of Elisha expecting nothing. By the end of it, she has a son. And God rewarded her for the service that she did. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 says this. says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So it says, The love of Christ constrains us. That means God's love compels us. It like pushes us in the right direction of service, of giving our lives. But, it, but why? It says, um, Christ died for us that we which live should not live for ourselves. So rather than being selfish, we become selfless because Christ loved us so much. That's the example. We get the example from Christ. Um, in Philippians chapter 2, we read that earlier where it says, we let each esteem others better than themselves. And what it says later, like, what is our example for that? Well, it's Jesus. It says Jesus humbled himself um, to death, even the death of the cross. And so as we follow Christ's example, we're constrained, we're compelled by his love to serve. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 5. I want to show you the bad example. So we've seen kind of the ideal. We've seen this Shunammite woman. We've seen the way that she serves selflessly. She expects nothing in return. She gives of her goods. Even says at the beginning of that passage that she was a great woman. Like she was she was known in her area. She was maybe rich, maybe powerful. We don't really know. But she, but she she served the Lord. She gave of her things, expecting nothing in return. Let's look at another guy. This guy. So in Second Kings chapter five. Uh, just to set this story up for you, a lot of uh, maybe you know the story of a king called um, Naaman or Naaman, and this is the guy. He so he has leprosy, and he comes down with leprosy. But he comes to Elisha because he's like, I can probably like I don't know how to get over this leprosy thing, but I think that that maybe Elisha does. I think maybe there's something happening in Israel, like something's going on in this country that they've got some goods, they've got some healing that I need. So I'm going to go there. So he goes and, you know, do you guys remember what Elisha says? Elisha's like, hey, just wash yourself in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be cured. And Naaman's like, um, the Jordan River is gross. It's dirty. Like, I, there's better rivers back in my home like country. Why would I go in the Jordan? This is disgusting. And finally, one of his servants says, hey, just listen to the guy. What, what's it going to hurt you? You can take a shower afterwards. Just get in the Jordan. Well, he does it, and he gets healed. So he gets healed, and it's great. And let's let's pick up the story. Uh, let's actually pick up the story in verse 16. Um, no, okay, verse 15. It says, And he, so this is uh, the king, Naaman, he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. This is after he's been healed. He goes back to Elisha, says, And came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. So Naaman's like, I've been healed. What do you want for it? Like, I'm going to pay you whatever you want. And here's Elisha's response. But he said, As the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it. 
but he refused. Elisha's like, no, I'm good. Like, I've been rewarded by God. I don't need what you have to offer me. Let's go down to verse 20. It says, but Gehazi, this is his servant, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian in not receiving at his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. So Gehazi followed after Naaman. And when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me, saying, Behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. And Naaman said, Be content, take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and laid them upon two of his servants, and they bare them before him. Verse 24, And when he came to the tower, he took them from their hand and bestowed them in the house, and he let the men go, and they departed. And he went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? And he said, Thy servant went no whither. And he said unto him, Went not mine heart with thee, when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee? Is it a time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servant and maidservants? The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. Selfish servants, number one, they take initiative to serve themselves. They serve themselves. They look after their own, right? In verse 20, the story when we started reading it, what does, what does Naaman say? He says, I will run after him. I'm going to follow after the king to get what I think I deserve. Remember the Shunammite woman? She said, let us work together to serve Elisha. Let us figure out how we can make someone else's life better, not... Let me figure out how I can make my life better. This is what Gehazi does. This is what the selfish servant does. Jesus tells the story in the New Testament. He tells it in a couple of different places about if you, you know, he says if you go to a, a feast, if you go to a party, you go to an event, and there's a long table, and the most important people sit way up front, like by the host, and that's that's the like prize spot to be. That's where everybody wants to be. So he says what you should do. He says, when you go in, don't go to the front. Don't just assume that you get the best spot. He says, assume the lowest spot. Go to the end of the table. And then what's going to happen is the host is going to come and say, hey, you need to be up closer. You need to get into the action. You need to be up here where the, the food's better, right? And you get that seat at the table because you were looking out for others. You, you weren't just assuming that you deserved what was best. You didn't go after it. Now, this is very, very different to what our world teaches. Our world teaches, I am the most important person in the universe, and I need to take care of myself. And whatever I think, and whatever I feel, and whatever I want, I deserve, and I should try to get, and I should go after. It doesn't matter if I'm a part of a team. It doesn't matter if I'm a part of a group. It doesn't matter if I'm part of a country, a part of a church. It doesn't matter. What matters is what I want for me. This is the world that we live in. Even everybody, most people in your pocket, what, what kind of a phone do you have? You have an iPhone, right? It's like, oh, this is all about me. Let me get my iPad out and 
So I have to confess, I stole that from Doug Pearson. He preached on that like eight years ago, and he was spot on. And it's only gotten worse, right? Like, all right, I'm safe with this crowd. (laughs) So when was the last time, like, when was the first time you took a selfie? Like, growing up with those cameras that you rolled with, like, the film. Like, did you ever take a selfie? No. You don't take selfies. Because you couldn't see it, right? It's, like, weeks before you're going to get it back before you realize that you cut your head off. Why, why would you take a selfie? It doesn't even... And, and you spent, like, you spent, like, $2 to get that picture printed, and it's a terrible picture because you did this, but you couldn't... So, like, this whole world of selfies and us being at the center and, like, I'm going to post everything that I'm thinking and feeling and every picture and every moment of my life is going to be on social media because I want people to notice me. It's such a new thing. But we have this whole generation of students, young people, kids, they are all thinking that the world revolves around them. It's a really, really dangerous place to be. So parents, don't let your kids go that direction. It's not good. It'd be like, I think for Christmas, I'm going to get my wife, you know, like, tickets to a Chiefs game. She doesn't want to go to a Chiefs game. I do. But she loves me enough to say, I'll go. But, like, it's really selfish of me to get those tickets and say, this is for you, honey. I love you so much. Okay. I'm thinking about myself at this point. So selfish servants... They serve themselves. Number two, selfish servants work alone. They work alone. It's the Lone Ranger, right? There should be no no Lone Ranger Christians. If if um, is anybody following the Olympics at all? I'm really not. Just a little bit. It honestly, part of this whole like selfish movement. You see it happening at the Olympics like crazy. All these athletes just saying, I'm going to do what's best for me. I don't really feel like performing tonight because, you know, I'm... So, okay, we don't need to preach on gymnastics, but (laughs) there's a principle there of I just want to do what's best for me. When I look at, like, okay, the men's basketball team, USA men's basketball team should by far be the best basketball team in the world. They have the best athletes, the Mm -hmm. best basketball players in the whole world. Why did they lose a couple of games in the, like kind of the prelims leading up to the Olympics? Because they all play for themselves. They all say, how many points can I score tonight? How many assists can I get? How many great dunks can I do? How many great one-on-one moves can I do so that I look good? And they're getting beat by teams that have no NBA players, but they play together as a team. And that's what's making the difference. That's what's really getting it. So, This servant of Elisha's, Gehazi, in verse 22, it says, um, okay, so he goes up to the king, and in verse 22, he says, My master hath sent me, saying, Behold, even now there come, there, there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. Um, Elisha never asked him to do that. So, one really good sign that maybe you're not doing what's right is if you have to lie about it. Mm-hmm. He's lying about it to cover up. Yeah. That's a really good sign that it's probably wrong. That's a really good sign that you're not under leadership. 
that's a good sign that you're not part of a team. Because if you're on a team and you go rogue and you go do something that's not part of the structure, one of your t- if your teammates are good, they're going to say, hey, you're, you're out of bounds. Get back on the field. Right. Or your leader is going to say, wait a second, this is not how we do things here. They're going to pull you back in. But if you're, if you're out on your own and you're lying about it, it's a really good, really good sign that you're in rebellion, that you're doing wrong. So um, don't serve alone. Don't serve alone. Number five. Number three. Sorry. Getting ahead of myself. Number three. <laughs> Selfish servants expect a reward. We saw these selfless servant, right? The Shunammite woman. They, he asked her, what do you want? And she's like, nothing. I dwell among my people. I'm content where I'm at. In verse 21, um, Gehazi follows after Naaman. Right, he goes out by himself, and I don't. We don't. We don't really get to see into the heart of this servant. We don't really know what's going on in his mind. Here's what I think happened. This is my theory. I think Elisha is the man of God, and Gehazi is right here with him, and he's serving. And they they go to the Shunammite woman, and the Shunammite woman makes a, a little bed. She makes a little room for Elisha. She gives the bed to Elisha. She makes a table for Elisha. She makes a candlestick. She puts the candlestick for him, the table, the chair, all the things. It's pretty clear that those are for Elisha. So this man, this servant, this guy that's kind of in second, in the second position, he's probably looking at all of that thinking, when am I going to get what I deserve? When am I going to get my reward? Where's my room? Where's my bread? Where's my candlestick? Where's, where's my table? Where's my stool? So he says, you know what? If, if Elisha won't give it to me, if I can't get it that way, I'm going to go around Elisha. I'm going to go get it for myself. And that's what he does. He runs off and he gets it for himself. Now, again, it's a little bit of speculation, but I think that that's probably what ha- what's happening in his mind. I'd like you to, let's go real quick. Yeah, we have time. Go back to Genesis chapter 15. I want to show you a, just a, one verse in Genesis 15 that's going to help us get our minds right about this. So in Genesis chapter 14, you have Abram, who's going to later become Abraham. He goes to war and he wins the war. Like Abram's men are the best. So they go to war. He wins the war. This is where we see that guy, this kind of like mysterious character in the Old Testament who shows up in Hebrews. His name is Melchizedek. He's a priest. Abram gives him, you know, 10%. He gives him the the tithe of kind of the things that he's won. And then what happens is the kings, so Abram goes and he wins this battle. And the kings that he's fighting for say, what do you want out of the spoils of this war? Like, you won the battle. Here's all the stuff that you got. What do you want? And Abram says, I'm good. I don't need any of it. What does God tell him in chapter 15? Let's read just verse 1. It says this. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Abram just gets done winning a battle, and God says, I'm your shield. I'm the one that won that battle. Abram just gets done saying, I don't need the stuff. Keep your stuff. And God says, I'm your reward. It's me. It's not about the stuff. It's about me. And I think that this is where this is where the servant, Gehazi, I think this is where he got it wrong. He wanted it to be about him. 
He wanted the reward for himself. But the Bible is clear that God is our reward. Number four, selfish servants will be rewarded. Now, I just said that, you know, they shouldn't get rewarded or maybe they don't, you know, that's not their motivation. What's the reward for Gehazi, though? Leprosy. Leprosy. Yeah. The Bible's really clear in Galatians uh, chapter 6 says that uh, we we will reap what we sow, right? Like, he was reaping in unrighteousness. He was seeking for a reward for himself. And what reward does he end up with? He ends up with leprosy. This is like when Jesus says, um, in Matthew chapter 6, in verses 1 and 2, he's talking about hypocrites. He says, hypocrites, they when they give, they go to the offering box and they like they want to see they want everybody to see them put their offering in the offering box, right? It's like it'd be like if you got one of those big checks from the lottery and you're like, "This is my tithe. Like I'm going to write my tithe on one of the big checks and carry it in." And be like, "I'm going to put this in the offering box just so everybody can see, "Hey, I gave a check today." But what is what does Jesus say, Matthew 6? He says, um, "What those people are seeking is the praise of men." And then he says, "They have their reward." Well, what's their reward? Well, it's the praise of men. They're getting people to look at them and say, wow, what a generous person that is. What a generous guy that is. They're getting that reward. But what a bad reward. The reward is that people notice you. Well, that's pretty fickle because the next guy that comes in with a bigger check, now everybody's going to notice him. The next person that does something different, they're going to notice him. Like the attention is going to shift right now. We live in that cycle where every you're like, attention spans move and change like if you were seeking the praise of men you'll get it and then it'll be gone Mm -hmm. seek the reward from the lord um what i love about this story is that if you fast forward a couple of chapters in second kings chapter eight is that this guy gehazi who comes down with leprosy if you fast forward he's shown again in chapter eight verses four and five he's shown again as the servant of God. There's no mention of him between the end of chapter 5 and then in chapter 8. I don't know what he does. We don't know if he repents. We don't know if he gets cured of the leprosy, if he goes to the Jordan, if Elisha says, do this to get cured, this is how you need to repent. We don't know. But what we see is that he continues to be able to be God's servant. So what, what we have to infer, what we have to guess is that he got right in between. Something happened and God said, I love you, I will have mercy on you, I will give you another chance. So maybe you're thinking like, I've been really selfish. What do I do? Should I get leprosy? Should something bad happen to me? God doesn't want bad things to happen to us. But God will allow rough things to happen to us, bad things to happen to us, so that we can get to the point where we're a servant of God who is selfless. So as we conclude, I would just say this. I think really the choice is ours today, whether we decide to be selfish and serve ourselves and look out for our own needs and not look on the needs of others, or if we're going to be selfless and look on the needs of others and meet their needs and take the initiative to serve and to give and to love others. So God leaves the choice on the table. You know, it's really up to us what kind of attitude we're going to have, and then how that attitude is going to affect our actions as we serve others. Let's pray together.
and uh, we dismiss. God, thank you for this example, uh, these examples. Thanks for showing us what it means to be selfless. Um, God, thank you yourself for being selfless. Um, we know that it was a great sacrifice for you to send your son to die for us. Um, and we know that it was a great sacrifice for him to die. Like the, the perfect example of selflessness is in your son. And um, I pray that you would help us all to look on him as our example. Um, help us to look even on this, this woman, the Shunammite woman, and to see what it means to, to follow you, to see what it means to serve you. God, I pray that you'd help us all to, to, to take our eyes off of ourselves and to look, to look on the needs of others and then to take the initiative and actually just meet those needs and go out of our way to sacrifice our time and our energy and our money and our resources so that, so that we can share your love with other people through these acts of service. And God, may we never forget um, that, that really what people need is the gospel. Really what people need is a changed eternity, a changed perspective, a changed soul, a changed um, you know, insight. And so I pray that you would give us um, insight, give us wisdom, give us boldness, that as we serve people, as we give of our lives to preach the gospel to them, I pray that you would open doors for that to happen. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool. Thanks, guys.